Hi, I'm lead pastor, Noel Peepgrass. Welcome to the Exeter Valley Church Podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. You're welcome to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in our historic building at 218 Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. been in a, a bit of a series here. I don't even know if you call it a series. We've been in Matthew so long. Uh, but uh, we, we tackled the Sermon on the Mount this spring. That was super fun to hear the teachings of Jesus. I loved uh, that, that particular part of the book of Matthew. Uh, listening to and hearing afresh the commands of Jesus um, as he gave them there. And then we've seen in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus come off the mountain. Right? He did a bunch of teaching up there on the mountain gave us the philosophy of his kingdom ways, and now he's come down, and he's shown us practically how to live as a kingdom citizen. He's shown us practically what his kingdom looks like in in chapters 8 and 9. There's been 10 miracles performed in these chapters, so five in chapter 8, five in chapter 9, and in particular, in chapter 9, we've seen the ability of these, uh, these miracles to bring freedom. We've seen the way that Jesus comes to bring freedom from all kinds of different things, right? And in today's passage, uh, he brings freedom specifically to see and to speak. Freedom to see and freedom to speak. One of the things I love about uh, Jesus' way is if, if you've been noticing, Jesus, he came to bring community. He came to bring relationship uh, one to another. And uh, I, I was thinking about that this week. Like, duh, if you can't see, you know, there's a way in which you're, you're robbed of community in a way, aren't you? If you can't speak all the more, right, it's really hard to be full participant in a community if you can't see and you can't speak. So when I think of these miracles, I think, uh, you know, these miracles today in this passage, I think specifically the freedom that Jesus came to bring to give us community, to give us relationship. Uh, Also, in in this passage today, we're going to see faith. And we've been talking about faith a ton. As I said last week, I've, I've almost been worried that you'd hear too much about faith. And and feel like, oh, he's got the same sermon every week, you know? And I, like, part of me wants to, like, change it up a little bit. We've been talking about faith too much. That's, like, a feeling that I've had in my heart. I gotta, I gotta search for a different theme. But I wanna stay really true to the meaning of the passage, and so we're gonna talk about faith more today. <laughs> uh, we're gonna talk also, though, there's some good theology in this passage also. There's some hope in this passage. And there's healing. Can we ever talk enough about the healing that God can bring, that Jesus came to bring, right? So there's all those things in today's passage. But what I really want us to focus on today as we wrap up, so we're kind of at like a wrap-up point, chapters 8 and 9, we've seen these miracle stories about Jesus. And what I really want us to see is the response of the different types of people in these stories. And I want us to think about how do we respond to Jesus? How have I responded to Jesus? How am I responding to Jesus? Because that's critical. It's not just uh, what we see Jesus do, but he invites us to respond. And so we want to see in these stories today the importance of our response to Jesus. Two stories today. A story about two blind men being healed. And then a story about a deaf mute, a man who can't speak, uh, being freed of the, it, it says in the story, being freed of the demon that possessed him. So that's kind of an interesting side note. Uh, this is a unique story. These two blind men, uh, there's other, you've, I mean, it's like 
not, I guess not that unique, like Jesus heals the blind, like that's pretty uh, cliche almost, right? I mean, you, you knew that Jesus healed some blind people, but there's no other account in the Gospels about this particular story, so it is unique to Matthew's telling. So let's jump right in, verse 27. Again, you guys are welcome to follow along on your phones. Like I said last week, as long as you don't have Facebook open, it, you're, uh, you're allowed to have your phone open, and you can, uh, you can use that tool to, uh, to, to follow along with me. If you have a real Bible here, well, then you're a real Christian, obviously. Um, joking. I, I, would not, I don't know. I, my, I've noticed recently that my Bibles aren't, aren't like, used enough, you know? <laughs> yeah, Herica's in the back. Yeah, look at me. Yeah. So it says in verse 27 uh, that as Jesus went on from there, so this is tying us to the spot that we were at last week. Remember the last thing that Jesus had done? He, uh, oh, what did he do? He, he raised a little girl from the dead. That was the first that we saw last week. Um, so as he goes on from there, the house of Jairus, uh, the, man, the, the religious leader who brought his daughter or, or came to Jesus and asked him to come to heal his daughter. So as Jesus went on from there, it says in verse 27, two blind men followed him, calling out. And I love this sentence. Have mercy on us, son of David. Really powerful statement. Have mercy on us. Mercy. Uh, mercy is an interesting word choice, right? Uh, just, a, just a few paragraphs before, Jesus had said something about mercy. He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So mercy is an important part. It's like an integral part of Jesus' kingdom ways. And these blind men, I don't know if they heard Jesus say that. I wonder, you know. How long had they been following Jesus? How much had they heard him say? But they lead with this phrase, have mercy on us. It's evident in any case uh, that their worldview is aware of the connection between the presence of sin and the general brokenness that accompanies it. You, mean, you know what I'm saying? Like what I'm saying is here are these men who have an affliction, their blindness, they cry out for mercy. That's their first instinct is to cry out for mercy, right? Now listen, we, we know from the book of Job that physical ailments, the bad things that happen in our lives are not always necessarily a punishment for sin. So we can't just, you know, and, and that's happened over the course of church history where, oh, you're this, you know, you're sick for whatever reason. It's because of your sin. It's a punishment, Right? But we know that that's not always true, right? That, that like brokenness isn't always a punishment. That's not a proper way to look at it. But, but these guys, they, what they did know, what their worldview had taught them was that brokenness is a result of sin in general, right? That when sin entered the world, brokenness came along with it, right? Sickness and death are in, an, uh, in a way um, a consequence of the fall, and so they come to Jesus and they say, have mercy on us. <clears throat> They're acknowledging that their physical ailment is a symptom of the world's sin problem. Hey, Jesus, something's not right here. You're the one who came to restore what's wrong. It points to like the ultimate way that Jesus came to bring healing and restoration. Look, if we go back in the story long enough, we see the garden, right, where everything began. Was there blindness in the garden? No, there was no blindness in the garden. We saw creation the way it was meant to be. 
So these two blind men, they know that, that the, with sin came some other symptoms and that all of our brokenness ties back to this original problem with sin. And so they cry out, have mercy on us. <clears throat> They're acknowledging a belief in the idea that all suffering and all brokenness and all illness and even death has its root back to the presence of sin in the world. And then the next thing they say, son of David, what a phrase. This is the first time in uh, the New Testament that we hear this phrase, son of David. Matthew actually used it a lot. Son of David. They reference Jesus as the son of David. Remember that Matthew was speaking to a mostly Jewish audience, right? Matthew came to speak in particular to the Jews. And what was Matthew trying to communicate? He's trying to communicate that Jesus is the Messiah. These men got it. These men got it. They saw him as the son of David. If you want to see a little bit of like history about where that idea of Jesus as the son of David came from, you could go to 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. But just know this, the people of God have been waiting for a king from David's line. If you were with us long, uh, like long, long ago, when we started our study in Matthew, we studied the, uh, the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus from the very beginning. And one of the things that Matthew was trying to say, even there, is that, hey, this Jesus guy, he came from the lineage of David. This is super important. You got to, you know, we take these things for granted as, you know, uh, year 2022 followers of Jesus. But Matthew was trying to show this mostly Jewish audience that Jesus was the son of David. That puts him in line to be the Messiah. So these are really powerful words. Son of David. And surprisingly, surprisingly, it was two blind men that first saw Jesus as the son of David. It's interesting, you know, there's a, there's a way of seeing that transcends the physical, right? There's a way of seeing that even these blind men could do. Do you know what I'm saying? Because sometimes we see with our eyes and sometimes we see with our hearts. And these blind men, their hearts saw the reality of who Jesus was and they called him the son of David. It's actually uh, super powerful, you guys. See, because the spiritually serious Pharisees, uh, they had a problem with this language, right? For them, as standers by in this story, the, the seriously, uh, I'm sorry, the spiritually serious Pharisees, man, that name would have been so provocative. It would have provoked emotion and anger. Who are you calling the son of David? It's so funny. Because uh, Jesus got in a lot of trouble with the religious leaders, and so often he was not the cause of his own trouble, right? He didn't need to say it. It was what people said about him that got him in trouble. It's a, it's a really interesting footnote in this story. So this is very provocative to the spiritually serious Pharisees, but the truth is clear. These blind men were making a public statement, a public declaration of Jesus' messiahship. I don't know if that's a word but you know what I'm saying. Jesus was the Messiah and these blind men could see it. Let that rest on your hearts. They were both perceptive in their assertion and also bold, risky in their assertion. To call Jesus the son of God, big deal. That would have infuriated the religious leaders. So verse 28, it says, when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. 
So interesting, interesting part of this story is Jesus doesn't initially, like he just keeps going. They call to him and he carries on. It's like he knows that their faith needs to be like, uh, they need to show more pursuit in their faith, you know? So he, he carries on, right? The blind men came to him, it says in, in verse 28, and he asked them, really important question. I want you to ask your heart this question today. Do you believe that I am able to do this? He challenges their faith, right? He challenges them to pursue by not stopping initially. And then he challenges their faith by asking them if they really believe that he's able to do what they're asking him to do. I would ask you that question today. Think about your prayers. I don't know what's at the top of your prayer list. I don't know what right now sits atop the list. But do you really believe that God can do what you're asking him to do? That's the question that Jesus poses to these two blind men. And their answer is simple but profound. They say, yes, Lord. <clears throat> yes, Lord. Uh, you know, uh, that phrase, yes, Lord, another way to say it that we often read in Scripture is amen. So be it is what they're saying. Every time you end your prayer with amen, you're saying, yes, Lord, I believe that you can do it. It's powerful. The word amen is super powerful. You know, sitting here on Father's Day, I, I remember my dad growing up. Uh, we, we grew up in a Midnight Brethren church. That's, that's a church that my dad was serving in for most of my life. So if you're familiar, Midnight Brethren are very conservative, like very stoic people, right? They're not uh, expressive, not a lot of hand raising, not a lot of hallelujahs being uh, shouted out. My dad considered himself a, a Baptist missionary to the Mennonites. Uh, he said that tongue-in-cheek, but he was known for shouting out, amen, in the middle of the sermon. Yeah. Yes, Lord, I believe you can do it. Amen. And that's how these blind men responded to Jesus. And I, I love the dance between Jesus and the faith of these blind men, right? They come with a little bit of faith, don't they? Have mercy on us, son of David. There's faith in that, right? Jesus keeps walking, knowing that they need to pursue more. They need to press more into faith, right? And then he, he gives them a question. Do you really believe that I can do what you're asking me to do? And they take another step forward into the house of faith, right? The house of faith. They say, yes, Lord. And this is the dance that we walk with Jesus, right? He like initiates our faith. He stirs us in our faith. He spurs us on in our faith. It's so comforting to know it's not like, again, our faith is in his faithfulness. Our faith is imperfect. Jesus spurs us on. He like coaches us along. He gives us what we need to continue on in faith. I love the dance that we see between faith and Jesus, our role in his. They grow in their eagerness. They grow in their determination. They grow in their persistence as they follow Jesus into the door of what we presume to be his house. I love that phrase, do you believe I can do this? Do you believe that I can do, Jesus says, the thing that you're asking me to do? There's something important about our belief and what we're asking Jesus to do. But Jesus has a role in initiating our faith, and I'm so thankful for that. There's this tension between our faith and his faithfulness, between our part and his part, and we see that back and forth in these passages. But they do say, yes, Lord, that's how they answer the question. We want to come to the point, don't we, of being able to answer that question. Do you believe I can do it? With yes, Lord. 
And in our house, uh, the kids know there's only one way to answer their mother, right? When mom, what is it? Yes, mom. This is how you answer. Yes, mom. You don't ask questions. You don't dilly-dally. You do not delay. You say, yes, mom, or yes, dad. It's really important how we answer Jesus. And these blind men got it really simple. Yes, Lord. You can do it. I believe you can do it, Lord. That's what they're saying. And what does Jesus do? How now does he respond here in his own home, we think, in Capernaum, probably? It says in verse 29 that he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Verse 29, then he touched their eyes. Jesus was never afraid to touch brokenness. And uh, we can sterilize this because so often in our day, uh, blindness is is like, uh, you know, like when I think of blind, I don't think of like infected, messed up eyes. You know, it kind of like looks clean. I don't know if you've ever thought that. Like you look at a blind person, you don't necessarily know they're blind until you realize that their eyes aren't tracking with you, right? But in Jesus' day, oftentimes, blindness would have been like more like uh, think infection, think like pus, uh, like yucky, right? Like, like kind of like a skin disorder, but in the eyes. Yet Jesus touches. Jesus touches us in our messiness. He touches us in our brokenness. He ain't scared to get messy with us. This is a good thing about Jesus. He's, a, he's the God who touches. He doesn't just talk to us. He touches us physically. And what does he say? According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now, according, don't get it twisted here. According does not mean in proportion to your faith. It means because of your faith, right? He does not heal in proportion to our faith. Thank the good Lord. He heals, though, and responds because of their faith. According to your, uh, according to your faith, uh, it will be done, he says. Look, where there's faith in Jesus, there's Jesus, This is the law of the gospel. Where there's faith in Jesus, there is Jesus. Okay? It's a good thing to have faith in Jesus. But faith doesn't have to be perfect for Jesus to respond. There's a tension between grace. We saw a lot of grace in chapter 8's healings and miracles. There's a tension between that grace, which we don't have to earn, which we don't have to do anything to get, right? And faith which we have a role to play in. See, in in chapter 8, we saw unrecorded faith, right? The mother-in-law. We don't even know if she had faith. Jesus just walks in and heals her. We saw pitiful faith, right? The little face in the story of the, the disciples in the boat with Jesus. They were afraid, sitting next to the Savior. Afraid. Their faith was pitiful. We've seen contemptible faith, right? The faith of the demon-possessed men in chapter 8. They knew who who he was, and yet they had no faith in him. They didn't put their trust in him. So don't get it twisted. Jesus can show up even when faith is imperfect. He helps even where faith is weak. Don't get it twisted. Faith is really important. But even though nothing means more than being trusted to Jesus, even though nothing means more to him than being trusted, he can still respond when our faith is weak. It reminded me, though, of the song, and maybe you guys grew up, anyone who grew up in the church could maybe attest to this. There's that old song, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 
to trust and obey. Faith leads to obedience. Hasn't Jesus said something to us about that? That's all he's been saying. In the Sermon on the Mount, it's like we have a role, right? There's a part for us to play. We put our faith in him, and then we obey his commands. So anyway, moving on, it says that Jesus warned them sternly. We're going to get into this idea of obedience. I'll show you what I mean. It says Jesus warned them sternly. See that no one knows about this. We've heard this a few times from Jesus, right? He does something really cool, and he's like, don't tell anybody. You're like, what? I thought we're supposed to go tell it on the mountain, you know? Jesus moves in power, and then he tells him, don't, he tells him not to say anything about it, right? See that no one knows about this. So here's two blind men who've been touched by the grace of Jesus. They've been healed miraculously. They've been brought into community because of what Jesus has done for them. He's given them sight, right? He's responded to their faith. So they probably obeyed him, right? They probably obeyed him? No, that's not what they did. It says, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. So this is really interesting. It's kind of dynamic. I mean, in, in some ways, can you not, like, I, I think my heart was relating to these guys who just got healed. And plus, if you were blind, and then now you could see, like, it's kind of hard to hide that, right? So, so part of me was like, well, it's not hard to blame them that they went out and told everybody. But the other part of me was like, wait a minute. They just were next to Jesus. He did something for them. He told them a command. Don't tell anybody. Did they listen to his command? No, because they knew better, I guess. They knew better. And can't we be like that? You know, we make excuses for obeying because we know better. You know what I'm saying? So trust and obey. I think these guys, they got it a little bit wrong. Now, I don't want to point to like how it could have been or how it should have been. But ultimately, you guys, this spreading of the word like this, this disobedient act, this is what got Jesus crucified. It's like he knew, ah, if they say something, they're going to kill me for this. And then they did say something, and they literally killed him for that, right? So anyway, we see that even, even grace, an experience of grace, does not equal obedience, always. And, uh, you know, Matthew's been working hard to teach us that obedience to Jesus' commands is it's perpetually necessary. It's always necessary. We've got to always think about being obedient to the commands of Jesus if we're really true Christians, right? That our faith, while our faith is by grace, not an act of our own merit, right? we don't have to earn our position with God. Jesus took care of that for us. But still, there's, there's a responsibility we have, like, if we have truly put our faith in Jesus, we ought to obey his commands. There's a correlation between grace, faith, and works in Matthew's gospel. So it's not enough just to receive Jesus by grace through faith. We've got to obey. There's a sense of cooperation. Faith needs to lead to obedience. Uh, I, I read this quote by a guy named Gerhard von Rad, which is a rad name, dad joke. Man's ancient folly, yeah. Man's ancient folly is in thinking he can understand God better from his freely assumed standpoint and from his notion of God than he could if he would subject himself to God's word. Man's, let me say it differently. Man's greatest folly is thinking he knows better than God knows. 
Man's greatest folly is thinking that we know better than God's word commands us to live. So these guys, they, they immediately disobey Jesus' teaching and go spread the word everywhere about what he's just done. <clears throat> we need more than just an experience of Jesus, you guys. And, and we see this, uh, this like division sometimes in different ways of doing church or different ways of being in worship. And, and some, there's like some crowds that like overly emphasize experiencing his presence and being with him and being touched. This crowd tends to be like high on miracles, high on the power of God, right? And then there's like other ways of being or doing church. And on this side, we see people who are like very ardent, do, obey, follow the commands. And what we really need is both. We need an experience with God and then we need to follow through and do what he's told us to do. We need both, experience and obedience. We want to be a church. Gosh, we're going to have to work for this. We want to be a church that's high on experience and high on obedience. We want to like feel the spirit move in our lives. We want to see his power do miraculous things. And then we want to respond and be obedient to his commands and let it influence the way that we live. The commands of Jesus demand the same faith that we give as healing. So then we move on to this second story about this, uh, this deaf and mute man and his healing. It says in verse 32, While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. So notice, who brought this man to Jesus? Presumably his friends. But somebody brought this man to Jesus. Did this man come to Jesus because of his own faith? Not so much. This man came to Jesus because of the faith of his friends. It's the second time we see this, right? Remember the, the uh, paralytic who was lowered through the roof, right? His friends brought him to Jesus. So we see this again. Uh, this guy's friends bring him to Jesus. It's so powerful. You guys, sometimes faith is so imperfect that we need our friends to have faith for us to get us to Jesus. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you want to know Jesus, you've got to be in a community of Jesus followers, right? And I know what you're saying. You're like, you're a pastor. Of course you want us to come to church. You're just trying to build your church. True. However, I also know that what's best for you, what's best for me, is to be in a community of faith followers who will get you to Jesus when your faith is imperfect. And that's what we see in this story. We can be little faiths who need the faith of our friends to get us to Jesus. Again, faith is a high kingdom value. It's a high kingdom value. Jesus loves it when you trust him. He loves it when you believe that he can do what you ask him to do. But he can heal with just little amounts of faith. He doesn't need huge faith. He loves huge faith, but it's not a limiting factor for Jesus. There's no limit on his ability. Not even our own faith and so sometimes, like this man, we need our friends to get us to Jesus. <clears throat> Second thing to notice is that this is an exorcism, isn't it? This is an exorcism. It's not just a healing of a mute person. This is a driving out of a demon. It says in the story that uh, the man couldn't talk because he was demon-possessed. And so they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus had authority uh, over the evil principalities of this world. So anyway, uh, Jesus drives a demon out of this man, and the man who had been mute 
begins to speak. Again, another miracle that's kind of hard to cover up, right? The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. And here we get to a point of real division between the crowds and between the religious leaders. See, the crowds, they were amazed at what Jesus did. They said, nothing like this has ever been seen in all of Israel. We've never seen this kind of power that casts out demons, that restores sight, that restores speech, right? <clears throat> so the crowds also seem to see Jesus like the blind men in the story. The crowds seem to get it. They respond in amazement. But the religious leaders, not so much. The religious leaders, for whatever reason, they just don't get it. It's like, for some reason, those that we would expect to miss Jesus, the blind, the normal peasants out there, they see him. And the people that we would expect to recognize Jesus, the religious leaders, they totally miss him. They totally miss him. You know what I mean? You got something to add, Bruce? Yeah, because they, Jesus is questioning their authority. Yeah, that's right. They're not going to give that up. That's right. They felt threatened, didn't they, Bruce? Yeah. And so, you know, the Pharisees say this in verse 34, and, and I want you to understand the extent to which they missed him, because they didn't just kind of miss him. They totally missed him. Verse 34, it says, but the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Not like, hey, this guy's just got a couple things wrong and we could straighten him out. They literally called the son of God the prince of demons. Like, they called him demonic. That is literally what they called Jesus. The spiritually serious. The religious leaders of the day. And why? Bruce nails it on the head. They saw Jesus as a threat. I was thinking about the ways that like, we, could, we could respond to Jesus in this same way if, we, if and when we see Jesus as a threat to our authority, we'll respond to Jesus this way. It's possible for us to respond to Jesus this way. Like they literally call him a servant of Satan. They don't just kind of miss Jesus, they completely miss Jesus. Swing and miss, big time. This isn't like a check swing or a foul tip. It's a total swing and miss. They completely miss Jesus. Here's the thing, and I'm coming down the home stretch. Because my clock, I got a new clock. I got a new clock, that's a preacher's timer right there. All right? So I'm coming down the home stretch right here. Here's the question. Here's the question before us today. How will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? How will we respond to Jesus? We've just seen incredible stories of his power, right? Let me refresh your memory. Chapter 8, he healed a leper. Then he healed the centurion's servant. And then he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Then he calmed the storm. Then he cast out the two demons. He's granted forgiveness to the paralyzed man, which only God could do, right? And he healed his legs. He's risen a dead girl to life. He's brought a woman's bleeding to an end. He just healed two blind men and set a mute man free of his oppression. In all these stories, the theme's been so clear. Jesus follows faith. We've seen big faith. We've seen little faith. We've seen no faith. And we've seen the power of the faith of friends. But in any event, we have learned that Jesus follows faith. He comes toward it. He accepts the invitation to dance when we come to the floor with faith. No matter how big or small, he responds to our faith. There's an undeniable dance between our faith and his faithfulness. Jesus demands full followership. We've seen that as well, right? It's not enough to be touched by Jesus. 
It's not enough to like his teaching. We must follow. We must follow by obedience. We can be touched by Jesus. We can hear his beautiful words, you guys, and still refuse to follow. Like, we need more than experience with Jesus. We want experience. We want to be touched by him. But we need more than that. We still have to follow, right? We've seen people in these stories like the hasty teacher, the hesitant son, the townspeople who are mad about losing their pigs, right? The blind men. We've seen people touched and experienced and really near to Jesus and not respond in obedience. But Jesus demands full followership. He says, lay it all down. Pick up your cross and follow me. And then lastly, we've seen that Jesus can be missed. Even by those of us that are really spiritually serious. Look, you guys, we ought to hear hope in these stories for sure. We we should see the grace of Jesus in these stories for sure. But we ought to heed the warning in these stories as well. Lest we be those who miss Jesus. Look, it was a spiritually serious. The people with their butts in the seats on a Sunday morning. Just like you, perhaps, who miss Jesus. If we're not careful to heed these warnings, we too could miss Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. This is what Matthew wants us to see. So how do we respond to Jesus as we look back on these last two chapters? Man, I want us to respond by acknowledging Jesus as the Son of David, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is who he is, right? Let's see him uh, rightly. Perhaps you've got a story of feeling his touch. That's awesome. I'd love to hear your stories of feeling his touch. I mean, we've seen him come near. We've heard him call our name. But let's make sure we don't walk away from our experience of him into a life of disobedience. Experience plus obedience. A right response to Jesus. Let's come to him this morning and say, as these blind men said, Son of David, have mercy on me. Let's respond to his faith-invoking voice. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. We believe that you can do what we're asking you to do. We believe that you can do what we're asking you to do. We come to you full of confidence. Wherever you lead us, even under the cross, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you touch us. I thank you that you, you come close to us, that you left heaven to be with us, that you've, uh, you come to restore the broken parts of our lives. I thank you that we've had an experience that we can have, that we can continue to have an experience with you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would not leave us alone as long as we continue to miss you. I pray that you would not leave us alone until we are day by day stepping into obedience. One foot after the other, Lord. Lord, as we come to the table this morning and receive your supper, will you just remind us, like, we do it so often, it can kind of get old. But we need you, Lord. We need your uh, body and your blood to cleanse us, to be made right with you. To do the things that you're asking us to do, we need you. We need to be like renewed. We need your breath in our lungs, God. Like we sang today, we, like we have such little faith. We can't do it on our own, Lord. Would you come and would you dance with us? Would you teach us to obey? 
to live in the goodness of the way you've commanded, to live in the love of the way you've commanded, to live in the blessing of the way that you've commanded. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.